HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Juniors. You have not really lived until you've had cheesecake at Juniors. For more information, visit JuniorsCheesecake.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway, and today we're having the last show of the of the year until our little holiday break. So um, for some reason though, in Brooklyn right now it's about 65 degrees, so it doesn't really feel very holiday uh, seasonal. But uh, hey, what can you do? Um, so uh, you know, I wanted to talk about um, a New Year's resolution that I'm hoping to make, and I'm hoping that you might be inspired by the author that I'm speaking with today about it. Um, her name is Dana Gunder. She is a staff scientist at the Natural Resources Defense Council, and she has also been published um, in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and many others. Um, she has written a book called The Waste-Free Kitchen Handbook, A Guide to Eating Well and Saving Money by Wasting Less Food. And she's on the line right now. It's Dana Gunders. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining. And a uh, really, really important book, the uh, topic that you're tackling in this book. Um, I guess before we get into the many tips and uh, you know kitchen wisdom that you have in this book, let's talk about why we should save food. I, I guess get ourselves a little bit scared first, and then <laughs> talk about what to do about it. Um, sure. You know, there there really are so many reasons. Um, many people don't realize that across the country, about 40% of the food that we have goes to waste um, and never gets eaten. And that has just significant impacts across the board. You know, we invest about 80% of our water and half of our land area in growing food. And so when we don't um, eat that food, all of that investment in resources has gone to waste. Right. Um, it's also a financial issue. Collectively, about $165 billion worth of food goes to waste. 
uh, across the economy. So, and and in our in our own homes, for the average family of four, that winds up being somewhere around fifteen hundred dollars per person. <laughs> I'm sorry, per household. Right. Um, so you know, it's real money, um, real resource impact, and and having that happen alongside a topic we think about a lot during the holidays. You know, the hunger in the country that mm-hmm. really does still exist. Um, it does, yeah. But, it's it's just something we really need to pay more attention to. And that's something that we think about, too, during this holiday season is, you know, donating to charities and, and um, so forth and hunger just overall. Um, I thought it was really alarming. You write that um, today we're wasting more food, 50 percent more food in the U.S. than we did in the 1970s. Um, we also waste uh, 10 times more food than the average consumer in Southeast Asia. Um, you know, this, so this isn't like, you know, something that we've always been doing. This is really a drastic, dramatic and alarming uh, trend that doesn't seem to be going away right now. Um, you note that only f- about 5% of discarded food is actually composted in the U.S., which, um, you know, a lot of people point to composting, you know, as a great alternative, which it is. But uh, actually... The reality right now is that most food ends up in landfills. Um, That's right, and and actually, when it gets to those landfills, um, you know, it rots there and it creates methane, which is a powerful greenhouse gas. Mm-hmm. Um, and and actually, the food waste collectively is responsible for a huge amount of greenhouse gases. Certainly, when you consider all of what goes into growing food. Um, it, it, actually, the the UN estimates that if food waste globally were a country, it would rank number three in terms yeah. of the, the greenhouse gases it produced after the U.S. and China. Which you know, this week during during big announcements around climate goals, I think um, we'll, we'll hopefully see more attention to the issue of how much food gets wasted. Yeah, I mean, this sounds like a, a very uh, the, you know the methane gas and everything. All these. All these inefficiencies going on um, may not be evident to the, you know, the everyday lifestyle, you know, in the in the naked eye, let's say. But um, they're really adding up, and I'm curious, you know, how did we get here? Why is it? Why is this happening so quickly and so drastically today? Well, you know, one of the key, I think, differences between the U.S. now and the U.S. before or other countries is uh, the size of our portions. Hmm. We, we, you often hear when someone comes to the country, you know, the shock factor at first mm-hmm. of how big our portions are. And actually, they're, you know, much bigger than they used to be. The average cookie is about four times, um, has about four times the calories as it did back in the 1980s. And the, and the average chicken Caesar salad is about double. So we're really looking at larger portions, and there's only two things happening to those extra calories, either we're eating them, and, and that's not necessarily a good thing, or we're not, and, you know, they're going to waste. They're going to waste. So, so that's one thing, and then, mm-hmm. you know, I think we have we have big cars, and we shop at big box stores, and have big refrigerators, and the, feel the need to keep them full, and, and all of that has just sort of all gotten a little bigger over the last um, few decades. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, you know, going into this... Um, when I first got this book, I kind of thought that a lot of the food waste happened in the field. Um, we've been hearing about um, so much uh, crops that get left behind in the field because they don't look perfect and and so forth in the supermarkets and yada yada. So industry. But you actually um, prove that most of the food waste is happening in the home. 
So it's on the consumer. Right. I mean, there certainly is food waste happening along the supply chain, starting at the farm, um, you know, for cosmetic reasons and for other reasons. And but but really, collectively, households across America um, are wasting more food than any of those individual other parts of the supply chain. Um, and you know, it's it, it's it goes unseen because it's the lettuce that goes bad in the fridge, it's mm-hmm. the potatoes we leave on our breakfast platter. It's you know, just kind of all of these little bits and pieces that we don't really see because they're happening um, just here and there. And how ironic is that? Because I thought we were sort of going through a little recession, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, you know, the middle income, the middle, I'm sorry, uh, you know, the wages have become a little stagnant and so forth, all these trends that are wouldn't necessarily direct you to us wasting more food, um, such a such a necessary expense. But Yeah, well, you know, and I think another thing that's happened over the last several decades is is that we've become a little bit more scared of our food as we become more distant. So, um, you know, we eat out more now than ever before, and people just are not cooking as much. And with that, they they are not as familiar in the kitchen and familiar with how to handle food and when to know if it's good or if it's not, um, you know, as compared to, say, our grandparents. And so I think that has created this fear around food where people just kind of, you know, if they don't know, that, you know, when in doubt, throw it out. And um, they don't really have... The, the same kitchen knowledge or skills to use it up that we that we used to. Mm-hmm. And what about um, I guess restaurant industry? Um, a lot of waste coming from there, right? I, I would imagine you know when you're catering an event, you always plan for extra, and and we see a lot of extra food. You know, some of these you know work holiday parties that we've been having this season. Um, doesn't it? Yeah, that affect um, yeah the way absolutely. Streams. And I think the thing to know about sort of some of the numbers around this is that the data is very rough. So mm. it is hard to compare. You know how much are restaurants wasting versus households because we really don't have a good handle on it. Um, certainly, anecdotally, anyone can relate to the experience of going to a wedding or a mm-hmm. holiday party, as you're saying, and the, the party's over and there's just a slew of food still left on the table. Yeah. And um, and I think and that's true. And then restaurants, you know, particularly with larger portions that they're serving, um, there's often a lot that doesn't get eaten. So I think hospitality, like those conferences and events and um, parties, are, are certainly an egregious <laughs> offender on the waste side of things. Um, but but the average restaurant has some too. And and certainly it's not you know. I don't think we're going for zero here. That would be really, really difficult to achieve. But there's this level of um, abundance that occurs right now and indulgence that leads to really unnecessary waste and an and opportunity to make a good dent in it. Absolutely. Um, so in writing this book, you know, which is filled with tons of helpful tips. Um, I just want to little, uh, ask you a little bit about how you, how you find research, because a lot of this does seem hard to compile, and um, a lot of anecdotal, like how do you go around and find out how much food waste is happening in, in U.S. households and in, from individuals and so forth? Yeah, well, right. It's difficult. I mean, that's partially why the data is, is kind of so rough. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You know, most of the research on numbers in the book does come from government sources or other academic journals where they've looked at, for instance, how many calories are in our food supply in total after we import and export food and then compare that with how much they know people eat and just get a rough sense of, okay, about 40% of those calories are not getting eaten, you know, assuming people eat 2,600 calories a day or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Others really spend more time analyzing, like, what people eat in their, you know, what they tend to buy versus what people actually eat and look at the differential there. I see. Uh, And, you know, some even go digging through garbage cans. Mm -hmm. But it is true. It's hard to put an exact, um, let's say, like top reasons for why people are wasting food. So I love that you suggest um, near the beginning of your book that everyone do a sort of um, individual accounting of of what they're wasting over the course of two weeks, um, which which can be enlightening to you and help you then determine, you know, what steps to take. So... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because so, um, you know, we all have different food management habits and the book has all all. sorts of information (laughs) on, you know, suggestions on how to better manage your food so you don't wind up wasting it. But um, depending on you and what you eat and how you operate and when you go to buy food and all of those things, um, you know, different tips will be more useful to you. And I, I do think the best way to really customize it for yourself is to take a couple weeks and just evaluate what you're throwing out, really make it visible, because right now it, it, it goes unseen. Mm-hmm. And so the suggestion is to basically, you know, nothing high-tech necessarily, just take a piece of paper, put it near your compost bin or your garbage, and um, every time you throw food out, jot down, you know, what it is, about how much, and why it's getting thrown out. And to kind of take a moment to stop and think about, well, did I buy too much of this, or did I plan on cooking it, but then, you know, my plans changed over the course of the week and I never got around to it, or what was behind it? And Mm -hmm. I think from that, you'll be able to see what you need to change in order to waste less. Yeah, I think that that is so important because there's really no one-size-fits-all uh, solution. You provide so many different uh, solutions and tips that everyone can can do, but none of, I mean, they're all suggestions and people have to figure out on their own, like which ones really work for them. Um, so if I could share just like a, an example of how, you know, we all have very different food management uh, habits, as you say, um, I tend to be one of those people that make batches of things, which is on the one hand, can be a really great way to saving food or using it up before, you know, using up raw ingredients, let's say, and having some quick uh, route to eating dinner. But it turns out that when I did my food waste audit on myself, I end up, uh, the things that definitely, um, if they do get thrown out, um, are always those like extra bits of things that I pre-prepared. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's always different for everyone. So I love that you kind of, you know, lead people on a path to dis- self-discovery um, to start <laughs> out. Um, yeah, and so maybe like, you know, in your situation, y- knowing that you might, as when you make those batches, take, you know, a quarter of it and put mm-hmm. it straight in the freezer. Right. Because... Right. And then have it for later. Exactly. (laughs) All right. So um, we're going to talk a lot more about these individual tips, um, but we're going to have a quick little commercial interlude and be right back. 
let's play a game. If I say three words, let's say Brooklyn classic food. You tell me what comes to mind. I'll give you a second. If the answer wasn't juniors, you lose the game. You can't possibly be a Brooklyn foodie, or a foodie at all for that matter, and not know about Junior's. Founded by Harry Rosen in 1950, Junior's landmark restaurant is known as the home of New York's best cheesecake. Real talk, you have not fully lived unless you've had Junior's cheesecake. The original location in Brooklyn on Flatbush Avenue is still thriving, or you can check them out at recent landmark additions in New York's Grand Central Terminal or in the heart of the theater district on Broadway and Times Square. Check out their first restaurant outside of New York at the Fox Tower Hotel at Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut. It's not just cheesecakes. They've got steak, seafood, sandwiches, salad, everything you would possibly need to complete an authentic New York dining experience. Don't be embarrassed next time somebody asks you if you've been to Junior's. Visit juniorscheesecake.com for more information. This is Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot on Heritage Radio Network, and I'd like you to become a member. By giving us some of your hard-earned money, you make this radio station possible. And that means that you have good food content to listen to uh, when you're cooking, when you're cleaning, when you're commuting. And it means that we have a place to come every week and make that content for you. So go to heritageradionetwork.org, click on the little beating heart, show us some love, and have a wonderful holiday season. All right, we're back chatting with Dana Gunders, the author of The Waste-Free Kitchen Handbook, A Guide to Eating Well and Saving Money by Wasting Less Food. Um, really, really great tips here. Um, so, Dana, you start us on this journey in the supermarket. So you, you talk about sage shopping and how the supermarket is ground zero for food waste. Um, tell us a little bit about you know what what exactly we're doing wrong. Are we buying too much in the supermarket these days, or...? Are we like we just like little kids in a candy store? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I think the first thing to to kind of realize is the supermarket is where we commit to to our food, to eating something. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And then you kind of after that, it might you know ultimately it's your sort of responsibility to eat that food. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> I do think that in general we wind up buying more than we actually use and and that's why some goes to waste. Mm-hmm. Now, why that's happening, I think, varies for different people. Um, you know, about 55% of purchases in the store are unplanned, Whoa. which I found shocking when I came across that number. And um, and really, one of the best antidotes to buying too much is to have a shopping list and a plan of meals for your week. And... Um, you know, just buy what you need, and and when you're pl- planning those meals, try to think about whether or not you're going to have extra ingredients from one meal and then using it again for mm-hmm. another. So of course, that, mm-hmm. I, I was just going to say, you know, that that's kind of intimidating for some people, and I, meal planning does not have to be sitting down on Sunday night with three cookbooks and coming up <laughs> with something brilliant for the week. Um, but mm-hmm. it, but something as basic as just in your mind, you know. Thinking of those two standard meals you wind up cooking all the time and just thinking through, do you have the right ingredients for them? And then, um, you know, the other part is, I think, acknowledging how busy your upcoming week might be. And are you really going to have the time to cook and eat the food that you're Mm -hmm. buying? Because 
I think we're very aspirational when we're in the store. We want to eat healthy. We want to cook at home. And then our week happens, and by Wednesday, you're, like, throwing frozen pizza in the oven or getting takeout, and all of the food, meanwhile, is going bad in your fridge. Right. So, yes, for someone like me who I don't think I ever plan when I go shopping, um, but to me, planning means really um, contr- like knowing what I'm doing that week too and uh, knowing how much to buy and really curbing myself from going overboard um, so you know that's another way of saying you're planning for that week or few days and or so forth um, yeah so exactly and, and I I recommend for, you know for people who are not detailed planners to at minimum you know before you check out at the store take a look in your shopping cart and try to identify when during the upcoming week you're actually going to eat mm-hmm. each of the items in it because if you can't think of an actual day and time um, it might not be the week to buy that right and I know that everyone you know people in New Yorkers lives are very fluctuating and you know you can get invited to dinner one night and all of a sudden so you know plan ahead for what your lifestyle is kind of like um, in general hopefully um, yeah. Okay. So, okay. We have smarter, um, food shopping and then you go on to smarter storage, which this is something also, I'm so not organized in my kitchen. <laughs> uh, how should we, you know, better arrange our new, newly purchased, uh, commitments of foods <laughs> that we got at the right. supermarket to, uh, make the best use of it? Um, well, I don't. The good news is I don't think you need to be highly organized. I mean, certainly if you are, that's better. But I'm I'm fairly organizationally challenged myself. So, um, you know, I think the important thing about storing food is just doing it properly, um, because that helps extend the food's life and gives mm-hmm. you more time to use it up. It also keeps it fresher. So, you know, it has the benefit of improving the quality of your food. Um, so, but but knowing how to use your refrigerator and keeping things in the right place is a key part of that storage. So, mm-hmm. uh, when I started writing the book, I never knew what those crisper drawers were for. You know, I just <laughs> shoved a bunch of veggies in them. But it it turns out that there actually is kind of a a method to using them properly, which is to to create one that's kind of a, a high humidity zone. What they do is they, they monitor the humidity a little better than just the, the big fridge. And so if you take one, you know, and put vegetables in it, you want it to be high humidity and, and put those things that tend to wilt into mm-hmm. there. Leafy so greens, broccoli, yeah. lettuce, carrots, like those go into the high humidity one. Um, and then in a different drawer, you want low humidity one um, so that, the, the bits of gas that can be produced by, for instance, apples when they're ripening can actually escape, and and that's good because otherwise it will actually increase the ripening speed of mm-hmm. everything else in that drawer. So um, in that other, you put fruits like apples and oranges and then some other foods that don't like humidity like mushrooms okay. or peppers. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's actually really nice to have those drawers to, to better organize and um know which is like which drawers for which just like you know your underwear drawer and so forth right. you would organize you know certain then, things there. and then more in more detail um the book actually has a whole directory section with 85 common foods um and advice on specifically how best to store each of those foods so you know, I didn't realize that asparagus, for instance, is actually best stored if you put it in a jar of water mm. in your refrigerator. And if you do that, it'll actually last a couple Ooh. weeks. Pretty amazing. Yeah, that's a really great idea. Um, all right. So my my favorite part of your book is where you talk about um, 
party hard, waste less. <laughs> so you talk about how parties are actually a really great way of using up uh, you know, all this extra food that you have or just like entertaining and um, kind of sharing, sharing the wealth around from your kitchen. Um, tell me, uh, have you been entertaining yourself this season a bit? <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think parties are great. I have not been entertaining very much because I just got back from a big trip. But um, mm-hmm. but I do think this time of year it's very relevant. And not only is it a good way to use up extra food, but I think it's a, it's a time to be really mindful of how much you're preparing because yeah. we have a tendency to go so overboard um, when we have parties and, you know, over the holidays, so much cooking. Um, and so yeah, Thanksgiving you know, a leftovers, some things people. That people can do mm-hmm. are, you know, one in particular is to pre-prepare a bunch of food and freeze it and then defrost it and cook it in batches. And that way, you know, if your mushroom rollovers aren't a big hit, uh, you haven't made three dozen of them and you're, you're not sort of sitting on them in the middle yeah. of the party. Um, another oh. is to just have leftover containers on hand so that you can send people home with food. Um, you know, no one shows up to a party with leftover containers, and they're often too shy to ask to bring anything home, so okay. it's really up to the host to be prepared for that and, and offer it. That's a that's a really great trick, to, to have some Tupperware or whatever on hand and, and dole it out at the end of the night. Um, I, I What was I going to say? Okay, so um, <laughs> how many people have you heard of that, like, have super planned for a party or overcooked and then forgot to serve something at the end of the night. I mean, that's just... Oh, yeah, common. guilty myself. <laughs> so we definitely want to pay attention to food waste when we're, when we're entertaining. Um, okay, and now you talk about getting scrappy, which um, is can be a lot of, uh, you know, fun creatively. So using food scraps for your pets, that's a great one um, as an owner of a dog. Like, so... Do you have pets yourself? I do. Yeah, I have a, a great dog. And um, what do you? I, I mean, I, I know that this is probably a whole other like whole other book in itself. But um, you advocate for for you know giving some food scraps to the pets, um, like just basic like meat and stuff like that to save from well yeah i mean waste. it's a very convenient way to deal with some of those foods that your pets are happy to eat and maybe you don't want so you know perhaps the skin on fish mm-hmm. for instance is something that a lot of people don't like to eat it's edible it has great omega-3s but a lot of people don't like it um your dog or cat would be happy yeah. to take care of that for you and so actually true. in the book i have a chart of kind of what you can and can't feed to your pets uh to help you just be aware of some of the things to, to actually be really careful with. Like, mm-hmm. who knew that grapes and raisins are actually really dangerous for dogs to have? I had no idea. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Um, and then you have some common household uses for, uh, for for food scraps that are really interesting, like banana peel shoe polish, <laughs> citron, <laughs> like... Oh, well, Easter egg dye for some some stuff like uh, onion skins and beet skins. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know this whole section is is kind of meant to be fun and inspirational and just get people to start thinking about um, food and food scraps as as materials yeah. that might have some value rather than something to just pitch automatically. You know, 
no one's going to save every single banana peel and polish their shoes regularly with them. But it does actually work. Um, (laughs) It doesn't work quite as well as the guy in the station, but but it does work decently. And um, so there's some fun tips like that and coffee ground facial scrub and things like that. I love that. That sounded that sounded really great. Yeah, instead of all those like little plastic microbeads, just use your fresh coffee grounds. Um, exactly. Awesome. So, um, what about composting though? Because um, if you're not close to a munis- or a community kind of compost drop off location, and let's say you don't have a backyard, um, do you think that composting is still a viable option for your kitchen scraps? Um. It is viable. I will mm-hmm. say it's not for the entirely faint of heart, but yeah. certainly, um, you know, I would imagine in Brooklyn there that your listeners might know some diehards who yeah. actually do compost in, in their apartment, and um, and I do. I knew some folks in New York who do it, and they tend to use worm bins because mm-hmm. worms help process the scraps a lot faster. Right. Um, there are also some services that you can hire mm. that uh, that will come and kind of pick up your scraps and, and do it for you. Um, there's a Japanese technique, Kobayashi, that um, I believe there's a service in New York where people can um, sign up and have their mm-hmm. food scraps go to that. Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges of composting in an apartment is what you do with the compost once you have it. Uh, because you know, there's only so many houseplants, and there's only so much yeah. compost that houseplants houseplants can take. So, uh, you need to make sure there's friends or parks or somewhere where um, that compost is going to be useful. Right, and that that was Vokashi you mentioned as the service that picks up. I That's right. Yeah. yeah, got it. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's a very crafty way to, you know, something to get into. Hopefully, um, if you if you don't mind worms and <laughs> so forth. Right. Um, okay, so we're about out of time, but do you think there's any, like, number one, like, really easy, low-hanging fruit that you everyone can, I guess, keep in mind when it comes to their food waste? I, mean, I would just say, you know, plan as best you can, freeze food as much as possible, because your freezer is your friend. Yeah. Um, you know, don't listen to those dates on food. They're just suggestions for when the food is at its this, best quality. Okay. They're not telling you to throw the food out. And uh, don't be afraid to get creative in your kitchen. Kitchen when you have you know a bunch of things that seemingly don't go together, it might be <laughs> the start of the next you know winter recipe. Absolutely. Um, so I hope everyone has a lot of fun and creativity uh, over the holiday season with some of this. Some of your awesome, think of them as not food scraps, but awesome food in, uh, materials to make your next masterpiece. Um, Thank you. And just to mention that the book uh, is sold out right now, but it should be in this week. So we'll be in in time for wow. the holiday. Oh, my gosh. C- congratulations, Dana. That's really exciting. Thank um, you. Yeah, we're excited. Awesome. We'll check out the Waste Free Kitchen handbook from Chronicle Books um, in a week. (laughs) Thank you so much, Dana Gunders, and thanks everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next year. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 non-profit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.